Gaslight, Chapter 8 Part of this new and utterly unthrilling violet night debacle is that I have to wait outside the theatre to see if the bereaved families turn up. So far, none of them have. I've just used it as a chance to watch people. Regular as clockwork, the men climb their ladders to light the gas lights in the street. Come along, children. Forward march. Mrs Crabtree, the governess, gives me her most sour and scathing expression as she marches past with her class of posh children in single file, like a well-behaved caterpillar, priggish the lot of them. Here you go, Nancy. Don't tell no one. Adelaide from the sweet shop smuggles me a white mouse, which I will break in half and share with B later. The street cleaners start to shovel as the traffic disperses. I watch the lights in the large round window of the Empire Theatre as they come to life and the large round moon vying for attention above them. I have failed completely to stop B having to use the arsenic Sid provided her with to make Violet's stupid dress. She is now below stairs, lying in her crate, coughing and sweating. Her eyes are swollen and her breathing is laboured. I hate Sid so much right now I could kill him. I also hate myself for letting him do this to us. Just as I have th this thought, I see them, the very first people I stole from. There have been lots since we are in to double figures. And Sid has been in a rage, blaming me as if it's my fault that his heinous venture is failing. My body zings all over with adrenaline and nerves. I know it's wrong and all. All of it is fetid to its very core. But waiting is so stupefyingly boring. And in spite of myself, I'm keen to see how Violet Knight's act goes. She, of course, gets all her information through the obituaries and through bribes and spying. It's amazing how easily people pass on information if they are given the chance. They don't realise they are helping this scam, but as they never will, I don't suppose it matters. I hang back until the family in the crowd has jostled to get into the theatre, then shove and elbow my way after them. I must get closer. Sweat trickles down into the, into the small of my back. This is so wrong, so inexcusably wrong, and yet so thrilling. I reach out my hand and drop it. The elder sister is looking straight at me, but says nothing. She probably just wonders why I look so odd, or perhaps she is still in shock. Mission accomplished. I push through the crowd, getting backstage, making sure I'm not seen or followed. I'm ashamed of myself for how much I'm enjoying all this. I do my bit and tell George, one of the main boys, to find Sid and let him know to pull one of the usual turns. The plan is that Violet would go on after Con's magic act and before Imogen Lavelle, the male impersonator. I want to make sure I have a really good view. I go to the wings at the side of the stage and watch as Constance disappears from the magician's box to the largely underwhelmed response of the audience. They've seen it all before. They want something new and different. They are about to get it. El Pathetico takes his bows to a smattering of applause 
and the announcements start for the next part of the show. Constance sees me and half waves, then changes direction and disappears. She's acting so strangely. I must find out what I've done to upset her. Scanning the stalls, I see the family. The sister looks happy, which makes my skin burn with contempt at what we are about to do. It'll bring them comfort to think there is something beyond this life, I keep telling myself. It'll make them believe that Miranda is still with them. It's tripe, but I'm willing to grasp at anything. The announcer bangs his gavel on the podium, like a judge pronouncing a sentence, and it's time. Violet takes centre stage as if the theatre had been built with her in mind. A hush comes over the usually bawdy audience. People take matters of the spirits very seriously. They all want to be part of something unexplained. Violet is certainly something to admire. Her green dress twinkles with tiny black beads which catch the light like minuscule dark stars. The limelight makes her face glow a ghoulish green, white. She shows no hint of nerves. I have to admit I'm impressed, however much I hate her. She has stage presence in bucket loads. You can't buy that sort of thing. You either have it or you don't. Mine would wither and die under this kind of pressure. There are some stooges who've been trained up to pretend she is speaking to their late relatives in the audience. Kenneth, who is always hanging about asking Sid for a bit part in anything, has finally had his request granted. Audrey is also out there waiting, awaiting her big moment. She is at least 70 years old and has been with the theatre since the beginning of time, though no one is all that sure of what she does. Sid says she is his version of a theatre cat and jokes about her catching rats for breakfast. The real joke is that he doesn't need a cat to catch rats, as he is already a snake. Welcome, Violet has assumed a theatrical voice. It's deep and quivering with drama. I've heard the saying, you can hear a pin drop, but I don't think I've ever actually understood it until now. The audience is completely entranced. I'm sort of half mesmerised myself. I can only make contact with those who are open to the experience. There is a shift in the air as everyone tries to open their minds. I can only connect with those who are as pure at heart. So, if you have committed a crime recently, do not worry. There is a ripple of appreciative laughter from the audience, though there are a few guilty shuffles and straightening of jackets too. We shall begin now. Even though I know that what she's doing is absolute bunkum, I'm caught in its spell. She's a real professional. Closing her eyes, she holds her fingers out in front of her as she feels the space for energies, as she calls it. Her energies draw her to Kenneth, who has definitely changed his mind about being involved, as everybody's heads turn towards him. You have lost your mother. And on it goes. Kenneth only has to nod and look embarrassed, and he does that with aplomb. Audrey has been told to be a bit more reluctant, then won over. 
Violet gives some supposedly private details about how she has a thing for a younger man, which she initially objects to, and then starts to reveal that she was, indeed really is, in love with him. But fate had other plans for him, and he was taken. I think she should win an award. Her acting is so much better than any of us expected. I always passed her off as old and hapless. Violet is also cunning in the way she plays her part, pretending she is shy to share the fabricated plot of Audrey's life with so big an audience. It's just perfect. And having set up the style and lured everyone into our net, we are on to the main act. I'm squirming, but my pulse is quick. If we can pull this off, it will be a brilliant coup de théâtre. Not that anyone will know I've had anything to do with it. Violet goes for the girl rather than the parents. I knew she would. Maximum impact. I feel vomit rise in my throat. You. The sister jumps out of her seat as if she's been given an electric shock. Violet makes sure that every single person in the audience is focused on her by making her stand, which she does defiantly, if shakily. She is hunched like a crow in her black get-up. It's a pity the fashion is to stay so obviously in mourning, or we could have used that as the first trick. I'm trying to ignore your mind, but it is so crowded with thoughts and they are pushing their way out to me. Such sorrow. Such sorrow. They could do with a bit more, with a bit of sad music here, I suggested to Sid. Perhaps the unsettling tune from B's music box. You are thinking of a girl. The most beautiful girl. You are so sad. Violet keeps the audience ensorcelled as she details the dead girl's life, guessing at the things the sisters used to do together. The audience are agog, as is the sister, but the final little cherry on the cake is about to come. She loved the sea, your sister? Yes? The girl nods, her face shines with astonishment and rapture. She is thinking of you. There is something in your pocket that will remind you of her. Look. The girl searches through her pocket. Eventually she pulls out a small segment of blue sea glass which she holds up to the cries of shock from the onlookers. Lots of them won't have a clue what it is, even though it is all over the place on the mud flats of the docks. Violet realises this. It is a glass that has been smoothed by the sea. She has given it to you as a sign that her love will always be there, as constant as the ocean. It is a present from the other side. Violet raises her hands to the heavens as the auditorium fills with gasps. The lights cut to black and with that she leaves the stage. I put my hand on my heart and thank my lucky stars that the girl didn't catch me dropping it in her pocket in the foyer earlier. Everyone loves the sea, but there was that special link this time. Violet takes her curtain call, so I bow in the wings, and some of the stagehands think I'm just larking about, so they clap for me. They're nice like that. I'm exhilarated. We did it. We are a hit. 
I don't need to swim tonight unless I'm swimming in champagne. My head is swirling when I get to the dressing room. I am part of a successful show. I want to get to my friends to see if they believe their eyes and ears or if they have suspicions about its authenticity. Stripping off my dress, I put on Con's blue velvet one. She said it's all right, so she won't mind if I have it for a few hours. There are some cornflower blue ribbons in a box of accessories. I tie a few of them in my hair in bows and then fasten a delphinium blue choker around my neck. I need to ride the excitement and enjoy myself, not put myself down as I'm used to doing. I actually don't look half bad. I'm going to go down and see B and tell her about it. There's someone coming down the corridor outside, but I'm so wrapped up in myself I don't pay them any heed till they are right outside the door. By the time I recognise the voices, it's almost too late. It's Sid for sure, and I would rather die than let him see me in this outfit, dreamily marvelling at myself and celebrating. He could cut me down with a single word. For this reason, and perhaps some other sense of foreboding, I hide in the chest. I know it sounds preposterous, but it's where I hide everything that is precious to me. So it seems the obvious place. I've tried it for size before, just in case of dire circumstances like this. Constance is with Sid. I can hear her smoker's cough just outside the door. I hurry to fold myself in, crushing the dress and hoping that it won't leave marks in the material. With any luck, their business down here will be over speedily and I can get on with my evening. An unthinkable thought enters my head and I try to squeeze it out. I think they are going to have relations. That must be why Constance is so awkward when she sees me. She thinks I'll be disgusted, and I will. Oh no, and I've shut myself in here so I'll be able to hear them canoodling. Oh! Opening my eyes wide against the darkness, I hear them come into the room and close the door behind them. Constance laughs her throaty, gravelly laugh. I try not to move a muscle. Should I spring out of the chest now and announce my presence with a ta-da? What would I say? I was just having a sleep in here. I was searching for something and managed to get myself trapped. But I suddenly realised that there was a, wasn't a lock on the lid and I am only now opening it. It's too late. The excruciating truth is that I'll just have to wait out whatever is going on with these two and then get out when they've gone. Please make it quick. Please. In the womb of the trunk, I hug my knees to my chest and I pray I won't get cramp. It's a good job I'm used to hiding in small places. I can feel my borrowed books from books pressing into me comfortingly. Sid's recognisable hiss is muffled, but I can just make out what he's saying as it drips through the keyhole. Constance, my beauty. I quell the nausea at the image of his crooked smile. Sid thinks he is quite the ladies' man. You can drop the act. We both know I've got you by the short and curlies. Always witty. Always a strong word and a joke. That's what I admire in you, Constance, my sweet. Your spirit, your pluck, you're quite magnificent, you know. Puke, this is an abominable thing to have to eavesdrop on. Thanks for the compliments, but let's get down to business. 
my stomach somersaults. I can't even put my finger in my ears to block this out without making too much noise. With them now so close, I consider again bursting out of the trunk and shouting, Found it! But that moment has passed, and I bet it would be more than my life is worth. I wait for the sickening slurp of them kissing. I found out what you're up to. I hear the shake in Constance's speech, though she is doing a good act of trying to hide it. Oh yes, and what is that, my dear? Sid has put on his I'm being nice tone, which he uses before he goes for the juggler. Don't pretend to me, Sid. I've seen her. I know that face anywhere. There is a pause. I replay the words in my head and try to make some kind of sense from them. Nothing comes. It took me a while, granted, but as soon as it clicked... I'm sure I don't know what you mean, sweet. Oh, you know all right. I'll tell if you like. I'll tell Nancy. Tell me. Tell me what? They have my complete attention. Ah. Uh, courageous indeed. But let not us forget who is actually in charge around here. Constance, there's a good girl. Perhaps Constance has taken me for someone else. Perhaps she has her own scam. If I'm supposed to be involved, I want her to hear every detail. I want to hear every detail so I can defend myself when the time comes. I've seen her mother. She's the spit of her. The air inside the trunk is sucked out. My head swims. My skin reels with hot stabbing pains. I want to explode out of this box and rush at them. Scream at them. Where is she? I clench my teeth so hard I almost pass out. And I can very easily tell Nancy where she is. 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 The word reverberates around me like a wasp intent on stinging. I can't feel my body anymore. Everything is still. The air, my heart, my blood. Everything. Sid sits down heavily on the trunk. I know it's him from his recognisable sigh. What is it you want from me? Why isn't he asking her what she's talking about? Why isn't he threatening to send her to Bedlam for talking such utter rot? I want to be a star, Sid. There is no response. I think Constance takes this as a sign of acquiescence. I want to be top billing and I want my name out the front. I want a piece in the paper about how you plucked me from nowhere and and recognised how famous I was going to be because of my talent. I can't comprehend anything. I'm numb and more alive than I've ever been at the same time. Sid shifts his weight. I open my eyes wide as if that will help me hear them more clearly. Their voices are harder to hear now that Sid is blocking the keyhole with his leg and I'm having to concentrate so hard to pick up everything. And what is that talent, my dear? I'll sing. Anyone 
can hold a tune. It's not about that, and you know it. It's about the mirrors and the lights and the adoration and the money. She stops. Just say where my mother is. Say it. If you don't put me there, I'll tell Nancy you lied to her all this time about her mother being missing. I'll tell her where her mother is. I'll tell her, Sid. Don't think I won't. You have my word on that. Ah, and an actress's word is a bond. He laughs, a wheezing cyanide snicker. I'm screaming inside my head so loudly that I'm sure it must be coming out of my mouth. Her mother is dead. Sid's words make my heart squeeze so hard I almost scream with agony. Why would Con make this up? What scam is she trying to pull? He stands up and his voice comes through to me loud and clear. To me at least. The world swirls about me in navy sparkles. I am sucking to breathe. Where have you seen her? Now that would be telling, and I can't be a tell-tattle. I'm buried alive. Come on now, there's a good girl. I already know where she is, but I want to see if you are telling me the truth. She is alive. She is alive. She is alive. I hear the horses gadding about in the street above. High heels pounding cobblestones. The colours are gleaming even in here. Turquoise and blues. Roses and orange. Smells fill my nostrils. The dryness of dust. The tang of the thrilling air. I want to leap and yell. Dance and fly. I've swelled to the size of the box with joy. My mother is alive. My mother is alive. The world tips back and I'm in blackness. But I'm no longer alone. There is a sudden shift against the box and I hear Constance screech. Please, Sid, please, I promise. I was just trying my luck, messing with you. I won't say anything, honest, I won't. I'm alert again. Constance is afraid, very afraid. It's such a shame, Constance. You leave me with something of a problem. Sid's voice is an icicle spiteful i can imagine his sneering lip the globules of saliva stretched in strings between his teeth as he speaks i think you've become a danger to me i'm not said i promise i'm not listen i'll move on i'll leave today i'll leave today i'll go now right now just let me go please her voice peters out you see if the others were to find out that you disobeyed me and I let you get away with it, then they might think that I was going soft. I already let you get away with something, didn't I? I don't know what you're talking about. I do. When Constance rolled her eyes at him, Sid never forgets a thing and he doesn't let anything slide. There is a noise then which I can only describe as a silence so thick it is audible. Then a thud breaks it and the pungent phosphorus smell of match being struck. I apologise Constance. 
But business is business. He leaves. The door shuts. I wait. My eyelids stinging from staring into the darkness for so long. A tinny scent winds its way into the chest and tickles my gag reflex. Eventually I push the lid up, trying to keep my heartbeat in my throat, trying with all my might not to make a single sound. I know what will be there. However petrifying the sight of Constance's lifeless body is, it's still second to the relief I feel that Sid has left. He strangled her. I've heard of him being involved in things like this before, but I would never have believed it. He is like a father to me. The only father I've ever known. Shock comes pouring in like a river. He has told me for as long as I can recall that my mother is missing and that all and all that time he has known where she was. Perhaps she's been looking for me. Perhaps he has told her that I am dead. My legs give way beneath me. Constance lies in front of me, but I feel nothing for her. I feel only for my mother. My mother. I'm more angry than I've ever been. I want to shake her back to life. I want to shout at her. Where is my mother? Tell me. How could you? We were supposed to be friends. And immediately I realise we weren't really friends. I didn't know her at all. And she was willing to put ambition ahead of me. As well as the anger, I feel something akin to pity for her. Or at least I know I will one day. I have got to leave here. This place I've called home. It is time to escape.